This podcast is presented to you by High Desert Word Center in Barstow, California. For more information, visit hdwc.org. Tonight we're going to be talking about this, how to love your neighbor. How to love your neighbor. And, you know... This may not sound like, well, I came to hear about faith. I came to hear about, you know, something. I came to hear about the end times. I came to, listen, listen. This is such a huge part of scripture that it is, I mean, it's mandatory that we got to, we need to talk about loving your neighbor. We should probably do it at least once a month, but at least every few months, you better be hearing a sermon on how to love your neighbor. Because who in here has realized that that's not always the absolute easiest thing to do? Why? Because they're not as good as you are, right? (laughs) They're not as lovely. They're not as cool. They're not as nice. They don't smell as good as you do. And so it's not always easy to love your neighbor. But as I'm going to show you, we're going to, I mean, you may think, well, I know this. All right. I've been hearing this since I was a child. I know this. Well, I'm going to say this much. If you've been a Christian very long, hopefully you've heard about this. But here's the deal. This is the most difficult area for most people that I know is how to love other people and treat them how we are scripturally supposed to treat them. Now, you may have heard it your whole life, and, 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 and this is basic Christianity, but it is so important, and this seems to be the stumbling block. I don't know what else to say, the, the, one of the hardest things that Jesus ever told us to do. But you got to know this much. You are not going to be a successful Christian if you're not working on this area. You will not be. And it all boils down to something that something very profound that the Apostle Paul said. He said, faith works by love. Your faith works by love. Think about that. You know, we, we all want our prayers to get answered. Who likes your prayers to get answered? I love my prayers to get answered, man. That's the best thing ever. I love it, but my prayers are not going to get answered if I'm out there being nasty and rude and treating people wrong. You, it, it all boils down. This is such a huge key topic as Christians, and that's why we have to preach on this. We have to, in your individual lives, you have to be studying this and working on this every day. It's so important. Now, we're going to look at a few things here, just direct quotes from Jesus. I'm not going to add to this. I'm not going to take away because who real, I've come to this realization, like I can't word anything better than Jesus already worded it. Have you realized that? Like, how could I, how could I make that sound better? You can't. Jesus said it perfectly because he is the word of God. But we're going to look at a few things that are just simply direct quotes from Jesus himself tonight. We're not going to add to it. We're not going to take away from it. We're going to do exactly as he said to do. All right. So three different things tonight. But I want you to get a hold of this. And I guarantee you. All right. I would say I I mean, I, I, I would say every single person, but maybe that's too high. But nine out of ten people in here right now, you've got someone that's a struggle that is not, you know, your favorite person in the world. Amen? Am I right? I mean, you know, I'm not saying you hate them, but they are a struggle in your life. And it is important, it is of fundamental huge importance that we treat people like Jesus did. Well, that doesn't sound too deep. I'm not here to impress you with my theology tonight. I'm here to help change your life, okay? This is huge, all right? So, number one, 
things Jesus said regarding how you're supposed to treat other people. Number one, love thy neighbor as thyself. Who in here has ever heard that before? Of course you've heard. Don't even put your hands up, all right? Listen, you've heard that before. Love thy neighbor as thyself. This is, I mean, we, we have called this the golden rule. But listen, this is not just some cute phrase or wise words to live by. And even people that aren't saved will, will quote this and not even realize that they're quoting Jesus Christ when they say, well, do unto others. Well, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. I've heard people that are sinners say that, and they didn't even realize they're quoting Jesus Christ when they said it, because people have heard this so much. But here's the deal. Even if you've heard it a thousand times, that doesn't matter until you actually start doing it. Why? Because James told us in James 1.22, somebody that just hears the word of God, but doesn't actually do the word of God, is a deceived person, Right? James 1.22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, or else you're deceiving yourselves. So let's look at Matthew chapter 22. We will primarily be in the book of Matthew tonight. Matthew 22. Amen. And so this is, this is again, I repeat, this is not just some cute phrase, not just some golden rule, and not just some inspirational words to live by. This is fundamental Christianity straight from the mouth of Jesus himself. Now you realize that in the New Testament, he gave us two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if you were to study the Old Testament law, those people had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of commands. And in the New Testament, Jesus said, you can sum up the whole law and the prophets in these two things. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. As a New Testament Christian, you have two commands from Jesus. Love God and love people. Because when you love God, you're not going to worship any other idols, are you? You're not going to put any, you know, that, that takes care of that. You're going to respect him. If you love God, you're not going to take his name in vain. Are you kidding me? If you love your neighbor as yourself, you're not going to steal from them, are you? Are you? No. If you love your neighbor, you, you're not going to covet their things. Or, or I mean, come on. It's all summed up in these two things. But Matthew 22, and we're going to look here at verse 39. And I'm just going to read it in the good old King James here because it words it so perfectly. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, again, Jesus said, when we love God and we love people, this covers all the commands that were ever given to curb sin. If we love God and love the people that he made, we will obey and fulfill all the law and the prophets. Now, again, this this is one of the most well-known quotes are one of the most well-known things that Jesus ever actually said. Because as I said a minute ago, there's people that aren't even Christians that can quote this to you. I remember I was watching, uh, I was watching Looney Tunes a while back. Anybody else you watch that when you just need to get some deeper thought? Okay. Uh, me too. Me too. 
I found out that there's more, there's higher quality content in Looney Tunes than most of modern television. You know what I mean? There's just, there's more substance to that. So anyway, old Porky Pig, you guys remember Porky Pig? Fat little guy? Okay, Porky Pig, right? So he was angry at someone and he was getting ready to go out and, uh, and go beat him up. And I was, and one thing I've noticed about the old Looney Tunes is, they're awesome. They're very violent. <laughs> I mean, they're like shooting people. It's like, woo. So anyway, but praise God, still, it's better than most of the modern stuff. So anyway, Porky's getting ready to go out there and just pummel someone. But he looks up, and there's a sign by his door, and it says, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And I'm like, whoa, wow. This is on TV like 50 or 60, however many years ago this was. And and And, and so Porky looks at it. And he stops what he's doing, he thinks about it, and then he goes out and he fixes the situation without, you know, pummeling the individual he was going to go pummel. But I'm like, how sad is it that there's deeper theology in Looney Tunes from 1950 than there is in a lot of churches in 2021? I mean, there's more substance. Porky Pig is a deeper thinker and, and, a, and, a, and a more, a deeper theologian, whatever you want to say, then a lot of the stuff we hear today, well, you just be your best you, man. That's all you can do. You just live your truth. Your truth shall set you free. Jesus didn't say that. He said the truth shall set you free. And so there's just so many stupid things that we hear today. But listen right here. You may have heard this a thousand times, but you need to be working on this Every single day, because this sums up all the law and the prophets right here. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you better love your neighbor as yourself. That's the words of Jesus. And so, boil it down to this. Treat other people how you want to be treated. If you don't want somebody talking about you badly, then why don't you not talk about other people badly? If you don't want somebody else taking your things, then don't take other people's things. If you don't want somebody cheating you out of money, don't cheat other people out of money. I mean, this is, it's not deep, but it's so profound. This is huge. Treat other people how you want to be treated. This is basic Christianity, but this sets us apart from the rest of the world because the rest of the world does not live by this. It's do unto others before they do unto you, right? I mean, that's, that's this world's motto. But Jesus says, no, do unto others what you would have them to do unto you. This is what Jesus tells us. And so one of my favorite stories, I just love this story, man. This I'm going to tell you a story that I feel changed my life. And it's a story about John D. Rockefeller, the richest person in history, all right? This man, I think, was worth like $600 billion in modern currency. That's a lot of money. That's more than, than the Tesla dude, Musk. That's more than Jeff Bezos. That, that, he was astronomically rich beyond anything most people can even imagine mind-blowing rich but here's the thing about john d rockefeller i mean and you know i i i read this katie bought me this like 600 page book about him so i studied his life and it's so interesting but the man was a tither the man tithed, like the richest man in the history of the world, John Rockefeller, he started out very poor, and his first little job, he started tithing, you know, 40 cents a week or whatever it was, and he kept on tithing, but then when you've got like 600 billion, it's, 
it's pretty difficult to cut a check on that all the time. So he just gave money away everywhere he went. Every adult he came across, he gave like a 50 cent piece to, and every child he gave a you know, quarter to or something like that. Now, back in the late 1800s, that was a considerable thing to do. So very rich man. Another fun fact, served in his local church. Little Baptist Church in, in, I believe it was Ohio. You know what his job was? He was the church janitor. <laughs> the richest man in the world swept the church out between services and they used candles for the lighting. He would replace the candles and clean up the wax. And I'm like, man, if he wasn't too good to come in and sweep up the church at his, at his level, I'm not too good to come in. And cuddle little babies in the newborn nursery, right? And you're not either. You're not either. You're going to do it. I know you're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. So anyway, back to my story. So uh, he was in charge of what was known at the time as the Standard Oil Company, the biggest company in the world. And on one occasion, I'm going to read this story. On one occasion, a company executive made a bad decision. It cost the firm $2 million. This was the late 1800s, and $2 million was a huge sum. Even back then, that had to be a ton of money. So uh, this is Edward Bedford. He was one of the partners in the company. Uh, he, he was going to come in, and him and Rockefeller were going to decide this man's fate. Okay? So Edward Bedford and John Rockefeller, what are we going to do with this guy that just cost us $2 million? So uh, Bedford comes in, and when he entered Rockefeller's office, he saw his boss bent over a piece of paper, busily scribbling down notes. When Rockefeller finally looked up, he said to Bedford, I suppose you've heard about our loss. I've been thinking it over, Rockefeller said. And before I ask this man into my office to discuss the matter, I've been taking down some notes. So Bedford looked across the table and saw the page Rockefeller had been scribbling on. Across the top of the page was this heading, points in favor of Mr. Smith. And below that heading was a long list of the good things the man had done. The times that he had made the company money. The times that he had gone the extra mile. The times that he had been a good employee. And so what did Rockefeller do? He's like, okay, he's got this one mistake over here. But here's a whole list of things good that he's done. And and what happened was, in the light of this really big mistake... What about all the dozens and dozens and dozens of other times that he was really good to us? The dozens of times that he made this company a million dollars. The times that he worked the extra shift. The times that he went the extra mile. So Rockefeller decided, I'm not going to fire this guy. I'm going to, based upon his previous merits, we're going to forgive him. We're going to give him another chance. And so this guy... Bedford, he learned from this and he said, I learned how to live the rest of my life that way. Whenever somebody made a mistake, whenever somebody blew it, whenever somebody did something really wrong against me, I stopped for a minute and I considered, you know what, let's make a list of all the points in favor of what this person has done. Because it's real easy when someone does something really stupid or really bad to you to say, you know what, forget it. They're out of my life. They're dead to me. Like, whoa, hold on. I mean, come on. Let's let's just stop and think about this for a minute. What about all the times they were actually there for you? What about all the good things they've done? And I found out, hey, even in your marriage, even with your children, because sometimes kids can be a little bit annoying, right? 
dude, I'm just going to go there. My kids talk so much. My gosh, they talk. They don't stop talking. Oh, praise the Lord. I love them. They're not even being bad. They just, all four of them, every, every single one of them, they talk for the minute they wake up until they're well into their sleep. They're talking as they go to sleep. I'm like, they, I, they didn't get this from me. I'm not going to say who they got it from, but they talk a lot. And I, it's so, it's a blessing. It's really a blessing, but I need them to stop talking so much. Praise God. So anyway, so as they're talking I, on the drive here, I was like, oh my gosh, kids, stop talking. Give me a break. And, and, you know, but think about, but anytime you're annoyed with someone or whatever the case is, in all honesty, what about all the good things? What about the times that they've done right? What about the times that they've been there for you? And so love your neighbor as yourself. If you make a mistake and you don't want the whole world knowing about it and everybody blowing up on you and canceling you and, 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 and all this stuff, how about you don't do that to other people too? Simply treat other people how you want to be treated. I know this is the deepest thing we've ever studied in here, but seriously, this will change our lives if we would just obey Jesus' most simple command, all right? Here's another fun thing Jesus said. This is a fun one. You're going to love this. This is a fun one. Number two, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. That's a fun one. Who likes that? I don't like that. That's awful. But that's what Jesus said. If you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. Well, I don't think Jesus ever said that. I will prove it. Matthew chapter 5. Can we flip to Matthew chapter 5? You still with me tonight? You didn't go home, did you? All right. Matthew chapter 5. And Jesus, I mean, he... He took this whole love thing very, very seriously. I mean, to to come in to a group of Jewish people and say, I know Moses said a lot of good things and the prophets, but it can all be boiled down to this. Love God and love people. And that sums up everything they, that they've taught you for hundreds of years. I mean, that's that's a pretty bold thing to say right there. But Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look at verses 21 and 22. Matthew 5, verses 21 and 22. So Jesus said, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. Amen. That's good news, man. You commit murder, you're subject to judgment. Verse 22. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Ooh, that's encouraging. That's, uh, that's what you came into church to hear tonight, isn't it? I mean, you were hoping we'd talk about this subject. But that's what Jesus had to say. Because a lot of times people are like, man, you know, get rid of that Old Testament law. That was, you know, that, it's so much easier under the New Testament. Well, hold on. Listen, thank God for grace. But listen. We are held to an even higher standard as New Testament Christians. According to what Jesus said in the Old Testament, you can't murder someone. If you murder them, then you're subject to judgment. But Jesus says, no, I'm telling you, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, don't do that. Don't don't raise your hand if you've done that. But you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of judgment. If you curse somebody you are in danger of the fires of hell that's jesus words not 
mine. And so what is that? I mean, that tells me we have to guard our mouths. Even if you don't think it's a big deal, Jesus thinks it's a really big deal. And controlling the mouth, obviously, can be very hard for most people. That's the number one hardest thing to tackle. But Jesus says that, hey, I know it's hard, but you have to do this. Well, I don't think that that's very fair. We're not looking about fair. We're looking about obeying Jesus. Jesus thinks that we need to control our mouths and how we talk to other people. You know, I, we've maybe you've heard this illustration. It's an old Christian illustration. But, you know, it's real easy to squeeze the toothpaste out of the tube, right? Just squeeze it and whoop, it all comes out. It's a whole lot harder, though, to fit all that toothpaste back into the tube, right? I mean, and it's the same way with our words. It's real easy to just throw it all out there. It's a whole lot harder to have to reel those back in and fit all those words back in without leaving a mark. And so if you liked what Jesus said right there in Matthew 5, you're going to love what he said in Matthew 12. And I know you want to hear it, so let's flip to Matthew 12. Who thinks they just want to hear a little bit more of what Jesus had to say? Woo! Yeah! Now these are some inspirational verses. Very good. Matthew 12. And it's that's an important topic to Jesus. How we treat other people. And I feel that, you know, here at church, it's our duty. We have, we have got to talk about this topic very, very frequently. Alright, so Matthew 12, verses 34 through 37, I'm going to read it in the New King James. Jesus said, you brood of vipers! Whoa! Pump the brakes, Jesus! What are you talking about? Brood of vipers? I don't like snakes. I don't want, can you imagine Jesus calling you, you are a viper! Oh, ow, jeez, <laughs> that hurts in the heart part. I mean, that, that would just get to you. But he says, you brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Well, I call people an idiot, but it's not really in my, I mean, it's not really what I feel. Hey, that's it. what's in the heart comes out of the mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But look at verse 36. Here's what I'm trying to get at. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. That is a very sobering thought right there. (laughs) Verse 37, for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned so you may not care about what you say but apparently jesus does care about what we say and when we get to heaven we are gonna have to give some answers you're gonna we're gonna have some explaining to do because on the day of judgment whether you believe in the day of judgment or not it doesn't matter it's it's real and it is gonna happen every person that has ever been born on this earth will at one point have to stand before their maker Everybody, whether Chris or not, we will all stand before God at some point of time when we get to heaven. And it says right here, we will give an account for every idle word that we have spoken. Now, you know, I always say it this way, but it's just how I imagine it. I imagine standing in front of Jesus 
And he's got a big screen TV right beside me. And he's like, I just want to review a couple of moments from your life right here. And so click. And he, you know, plays a scene from your life. Pause. Can you explain that to me? What are you going to say to that? <laughs> you know, he, uh, what are you going to say for some, how are we going to give an account and explain some of the things we said? No, Jesus, I can explain. I know I called him that, but he made me really mad. And you should have heard what he called me first. What's Jesus going to say? Oh, okay, I'm Jesus and I know everything, but I didn't know that he called you something first. I'm sorry. That explains it now. Okay, we're good. You had every right to call him that. He's not going to say that. Listen, as a Christian, as a Christian, we no longer live by the code that, well, they called me this, so I am going to call them that in return. That's a very tough pill to swallow. But as Christians, it's no longer an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, if we lived under the Old Testament law, yeah, someone poked your eye, hey, poke their eye back. It's got to be fair. Somebody knocked your tooth out. You, by the law, at that point, were totally eligible to knock one of their teeth out. If somebody called you a bunch of names, by the law, you were justified. You can call them just as many names. You got to be, but Jesus says, we don't live, we don't do it that way anymore. Someone slaps you on one cheek. Turn the other cheek. A soldier comes and commands that you carry his gear for a mile. Go the extra mile. Go two miles. And as New Testament Christians, revenge is not a word that is in our language. I'm getting real. I'm just being get revenge out of your thoughts, out of your mind, out of your heart. You will never Be a mature and successful Christian if you're all caught up in revenge and, well, it would be fair if I just did this to them or, well, he said this about me, so then I will say this about him. She did this to me, and so then I will just get her back. That is an epic sign of immaturity, as not only as an adult, but as a Christian. And I realize, man, some people have wronged you. They've got it coming to them. But the Bible also tells us that vengeance is the Lord's. Revenge is the Lord's. Somebody goes around messing with one of God's children long enough, they will eventually pay the price for it. But it is not my job to make them pay the price. God, my Father, will take care of that at some point. That's a that's a scary thought to think about. Because God does have a judgment side of him where eventually... You go smacking his kids around long enough and then and, and get and poking at them, then he will eventually take the matter into his own hands if you don't take it into your hands. But the minute that you decide, I'm going to take this vengeance into my hands, I'm going to get them back. You've taken it out of God's hands now. And now it's up to you. It's no longer God's not going to deal with it. Now you you've taken it out of God's hands and you've placed it into yours because you think that you do a better job of being the judge and the jury than God Almighty. Yeah, I thought it would get quiet when we said this. I did. And, but it's, but I, I mean, that's just something to think about right there. If someone's messing with you right now, listen, I'm not saying get abused. I'm not saying get harassed. Properly take care of things, but don't seek revenge. Let God do that. And he will do it. Give him time. He'll do it. But the good news is, just as he is quick and rich in love and slow to anger for you, he'll also... 
be graceful towards that person to give them time to get it right. But if they don't, then he'll deal with it. Don't worry about it. But if you take it into your hands, it is no longer in his hands. And he's like, well, okay, she'll, she's going to handle it. I'll just, whatever. Don't do that. Let God handle it. He does a better job than you do. Can I get an amen tonight? So I read this story. There was a little boy with a bad temper. His dad gave him a bag of nails and told him that every time he lost his temper, he had to hammer a nail in the back fence. The first day, the boy had driven 37 nails into the fence. It's a lot. Then it gradually dwindled down because he discovered that it was easier to hold his temper than to drive nails into a fence. So finally, the day came when the boy didn't lose his temper at all, not even one time. His father told, he told his father about it and the father suggested that the boy could now pull out one nail for each day that he was able to hold his temper. The days passed and the young boy was finally able to tell his father that every last nail was gone. The father took his son by the hand and led him to the back fence and he said, good job, you did it. But look at the holes in the fence. That fence will never be the same. When you say things in anger, they leave scars just like this one. You can put a knife in a man and draw it out, and it won't matter how many times you say, I'm sorry, the wound is still there. And so our words and how we speak to other people, that's some powerful stuff. And it's real easy to think about, you know, whoever your arch nemesis is. You shouldn't have an arch nemesis, but if you do, you know, you're like, hey, I'm thinking about him right now. But... Think about your family, your husband or your wife or your kids, our words to them. Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, but your husband is your neighbor. Your wife is your neighbor. Your children are your neighbor. Your mom and dad are your neighbor. Why? Because Jesus said, hey, anybody's your neighbor. Every other human being is your neighbor. So the last thing I'm going to say, one last quote from Jesus and, and, and it's this. Number three, I get this out of Matthew 5 also, but it's this. Love, bless, do good, pray. Well, what? When did he say that? Listen, Matthew 5, verse 44. Matthew 5, verse 44. And this is a beautiful little formula that I was reading in my Bible one day. And I don't know, sometimes I'm reading scripture and it just, boom, it pops out at me. One, two, three. Or one, two, three, four. And, and, and I just, I, I, I'll see... Four easy steps, four points to what that verse is saying. And so Matthew 5 and verse 44. Now, no doubt you've, you've, uh, you've probably come across this. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. This is literally the most famous sermon ever preached. Matthew 5 verse 44 in the New King James. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Now, that's something else, because, again, you've heard this probably most of your life. But these Jewish people that Jesus talked to, they never heard anything like this. He says, I'm telling you, love your enemies. That is not what the law of Moses said to do. It said, hate your enemies, pay them back, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. And Jesus says, we're not doing that. That was the old way. We got a new way. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and 
persecute you. So there's four things that Jesus said to do right here, specifically for your enemies. And if you'll do them, they're very hard. But if you'll do them, guaranteed it will change your life. I don't want to be miserable. I don't want to be full of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and and just, I mean, drama. I hate it. Hate that stuff, man. And if you want a life free of all that, Matthew 5.44 is written for you. And so let's break this down. What's the first thing that Jesus said you do for an enemy? Love. I say to you, love your enemies. Now, the word Jesus used here is agape. This means to love them unconditionally, whether they deserve it or not, because someone that's your enemy probably doesn't deserve your love. But Jesus said, love them, whether they deserve it or not. Agape your enemy. Now, this goes against everything they've ever heard, because verse 43, I didn't throw it up there. But Jesus said, you've heard it that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That was the Old Testament law. Yeah, love your neighbors, love the people that are nice to you, and then hate the people that hate you. That was the law. But Jesus says, no, love your enemies. And then the second thing he said is, bless those who curse you. Have you ever had somebody curse you? I'm the only one and I'm the preacher. Okay, that's astounding to me. I thought surely some of you in here had somebody curse you. Wow. Okay. So, but this word bless here, listen, because I, I always read that and I'm like, bless those who, how do I bless someone who curses me? Well, this bless word here is this Greek word eulogio, and it literally means speak well of. And I'm like, what? So when, when Jesus was preaching the sermon, he says, I tell you to agape, unconditionally love your enemies, and I'm telling you to speak well of those who curse you. That's the word bless right there, eulogio. Speak well of those who curse you. Can you imagine doing that? Someone curses you out, and then you say something really nice to them to their face. You're a little blank, 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 blank thing. Have I ever told you that you have, that, that's a stunning haircut. That is just phenomenal. Where, where did you get that? I mean, you know, someone just absolutely goes off on you and you say something really nice back to them. That would take every ounce of strength that you have. But can you realize how that would change your life? You would walk away from that conversation feeling a whole lot different than if you just unloaded and fired back at them with whatever nastiness you wanted to fire back at them. Who thinks that Jesus knows more than you? I am asking for a show of hands on this. Okay. So Jesus knows a lot more than I know and a lot more than you know. And even though this seems really hard, don't you think that Jesus is telling us something here that could absolutely be to our benefit and change our lives and make our life a whole lot better? So he says, love your enemies, bless, speak well of those who curse you. I love it. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who hate you. This means when somebody does something mean to you, you literally go and do something good to them. That goes against everything that is in your human nature. 
But I'm not trying to live by my human nature. I'm trying to live by the word of God and according to the spirit of God. And so is this, well, that's not fair. We're not talking about fair. We're talking about what Jesus said to do. He said, do good to those who hate you. And I haven't told this story for a while, but at one point, all right, believe it or not, I had a long list of people that I did not like, okay? <laughs> and it was for pretty good reason. They pretty much, you know, did a lot of damage to my family. And, and I mean, really big time, horrific damage. So in turn, I decided that, well, I'll just hate them and that'll just, that'll fix it. And it turns out hating people that have been mean to you doesn't actually fix it. It just makes you more miserable. Who would have thought that? And so, you know, it just made me more miserable. And so, um, anyway, you know, that's, that's a whole other story that I've never shared, but maybe for another day we'll, we'll share the whole context and, and depth of how difficult life got for the Samples family at one point in Indiana. And so, I, you know, I just got married, you know, me and Katie were 19, got married, and, and I'm, I'm still holding on to this, man. I, and literally, I hate these people. I, if, I hated them. They really did, I hated them. I would be totally fine if they ceased to exist at that point in my life. And so one day, I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm getting ready to go to Bible college. I'm getting ready to move to Oklahoma, and and I'm, I'm just trying to start a new chapter of my life. And I don't want to take all these people to Oklahoma with me, and I don't want to carry them on my backs for the rest of my life. And now I don't think it would be wisdom right now for me to go see these people face-to-face. Probably wouldn't be the best thing, but it would be wisdom if I somehow extended the olive branch and reached out and so one day i was off work and so i i i I go to the store and i buy a box of the nicest prettiest greeting cards that money could buy you know at the time so i just buy this big box of, of of nice lovely cards and i sat down i found every person's address i wrote every single person a nice letter you know what water under the bridge. I don't even want to think about everything. You're awesome. Love you. And, you know, praying for God's blessing on your life. And, you know, I'm just, man, I'm pulling for you. I'm rooting for you. And every single person that I could think of that I did not like, I mailed them a letter. You know how many responded? Not one. Nobody ever responded. And that's okay because I wasn't doing it to get a response I was doing it because Jesus said to, and the burden that that lifted off of my shoulders, I don't hate those people. I love them. I would, I would, I would go to any single one of them right now and go have dinner. I, I don't care. I'm not mad at all. Not at all. And really, their actions pushed the Samples family to California, to be honest. We would not have ever been here if those people hadn't, you know, done a lot of the things they did to us. And so, forgave every single one of them, and it did nothing but free me. But I'm telling you right now, everything we're talking about tonight, I realize that you've heard it a million times. I realize that it's not a, a, a earth-shaking, uh, you know, ground-breaking teaching, but you need to hear this on a very consistent basis. At least, I would say, six times a year you need to hear this sermon. And so what is it now? It's what, April? So around, around June or July, expect to hear this exact same thing again, somebody. Come on, right? All right. <laughs> hey, we're going to need it again. Can I show you one last verse? And that's in Luke chapter 23 and my final verse for tonight. And of course, Jesus said to pray for those who spitefully use you. Imagine praying for the people that have done you wrong. 
And Jesus said that because Jesus himself was willing to do it. One thing I love about Jesus is he doesn't ask me to do anything that he isn't willing to do himself. That's the sign of a great leader and, and, and you know, somebody that's not going to tell you, hey, you know, go out there and, and do this. And I'm not willing to do it, but I'm going to ask you to do it. Jesus was willing to do everything, every hard thing that he's asked us to do. He himself is willing to do and he did do. And so Jesus says, love them, bless them, do good to them, pray for them. And then here we have some of Jesus' final moments on the cross, Luke 23 and verse 24. These people are murdering him. And what does he do? Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Of course, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. And so in this moment of people murdering him, Jesus prays for those who are spitefully using him and cursing him and treating him very badly. And so I've had people treat me wrong. You've had people treat you wrong. Nobody's ever done that to you because you're still standing here. You've never been crucified on a cross and and torn apart by Roman soldiers and beaten to a pulp in front of your own mother and, and sisters. That's not you've had bad things, but you haven't had it that bad. Nobody in here has. And so if Jesus in that moment could pray, God, Father, just forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Don't hold this against them. Forgive them for it. Could you possibly pray for those who have done you wrong? Could you possibly love, bless, do good, pray, love your neighbor as yourself, guard the words that we speak against other people? I really believe that we can. Because Jesus isn't going to ask us to do something that is not in any way possible. Now, humanly speaking, it may be impossible, but thank God I am not bound by human limitations anymore. Through God, all things are possible. Jesus will ask us to do some very hard things. Don't think that Christianity is easy because it's not. If you're doing it the right way, it's not. You give up some things. Don't let anybody trick you. You give up some things, and that's fine. I'm good with that. I'm good with giving up some things. I'm good with taking up my own cross to follow him because he told me to. I'm good with a challenge, but I'm not limited to if I can do it in my own strength because he's going to ask us to do some things that we can't do in our own strength. But that's when you tap in and say, you know what? I can do all things through Christ who gives me the strength. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I may not possess the strength to do this on my own, but thank God I'm not relying on me. I'm relying on Jesus. I can love these people. I can pray for them. I can forgive them. And I can love my neighbor as myself. And if you will work on this area, your life will change. You will grow like you've never grown before. I'm out of time. Let's go ahead and stand up together tonight. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, visit hdwc.org.